Treasure Valley Dermatology has officially moved into their gorgeous new space in Meridian. Their new location is located at 2535 East Fairview Avenue in Meridian. Dr. Dustin Portella and his team of board-certified dermatologists and physician assistants have extensive knowledge and experience in diagnosing disorders of the skin, hair, and nails. They specialize in treating both children and adults with both common and uncommon skin problems. They treat acne, warts, hair loss, eczema, skin cancer, itchy skin, perform skin checks, have a comprehensive skin cancer prevention system, and offer many more services. Not to mention a full new on-location shop for medical-grade skincare, including Dean by Dr. Dustin Portella. We are so excited for this new addition to the Treasure Valley. Are you confused about investing, wealth management, hard assets versus soft assets, and Bitcoin? What about inflation, millennial disadvantage, and stablecoin? These are just a few of the topics being discussed right now on the social media pages run by Jesse Taff of Waypoint Real Estate Group and Bryce Gonser of Fulcrum Home Loans. They are continually providing education for building wealth in real estate and beyond. If these are topics that you want to know more about, head over to follow them on social media. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome back, everyone. This is Shane Plummer. In this episode, we are chatting with Holly Beach, Communications Manager of the Idaho Office for Refugees. In this conversation, we learn why Idaho is known throughout the country as having one of the best refugee programs, why Idaho is involved with the refugee settlement, and how we can best support these members of our community. This discussion convinced us that refugee support is an incredible opportunity to enrich our community with a diversity in new cultures. We've noticed that there are many misconceptions about what the term refugee means, and that there's often confusion with the concept of immigration. According to the U.S. Citizens and Immigration Services website, a refugee is a person of special humanitarian concern to the United States who can demonstrate that they were persecuted or fear persecution due to race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Refugees are people who are in need of help when they are persecuted in their own countries, and they come to America seeking asylum or protection. This does not include people who come to the United States illegally. We've learned that determining where refugees go within the United States and how many go to any given state is a major effort. Idaho, come to find out, is one of the best organized and most helpful states to participate in the program. Holly did a wonderful job of walking us through all the details of how the system works and what we can do to support this community within our community. We are releasing this in anticipation of a particularly exciting event happening on February 29th, 2024. The Idaho Office of Refugees Annual Legislative Luncheon will take place from noon to 1.30 p.m. on the fourth floor of the State Capitol Rotunda. This is a free event for the community. We strongly encourage you to come and enjoy authentic food made by the Idaho refugee community and listen to some of their stories. We can't think of a better way to build community and truly become neighbors than by breaking bread together with people as they share their stories. We also recommend that you check out Holly's podcast, Mosaics, where she and her team interview Idaho refugees and share their amazing stories. 
With all that said, we bring you a conversation with Holly Beach from the Idaho Office for Refugees. Holly, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, Holly Beach, you are, what is your title? My title is Communications Manager at the Idaho Office for Refugees. Okay. Refugees is a big concept. Lots of people are maybe a little bit afraid of the idea of refugees. Where do they come from? How are are they managed? What's their experience like? Um, even in our prep talk, we uh, you use some terms that I was a little bit unfamiliar with. Like there's somebody is a, refu- a refugee. They can be an immigrant. They can be asylum status. Asylum seeker. Define what a refugee is and kind of how that fits in the big picture. Of- yeah, so a refugee is someone who uh, their home country is no longer safe for them due to persecution or a well-founded fear of being persecuted based on very central factors about themselves. So that could be their race, their religion, their political ideology, their ethnicity. Um, so they have to flee. And they're in that second country where they flee to and they apply for refugee status from the UN. And then from there, the UN can work with various countries around the world who have refugee resettlement programs and they can find them a new home in that third country where they can rebuild their lives. This is kind of a large topic, not sure how we're going to navigate it, but uh, let's just kind of start chipping away and see. Um, when you talk about leaving countries, what are some of the examples of these countries that refugees are leaving? I mean, mm-hmm. people here that are settled in Idaho, they've been here for a long time. It's easy not to get involved in the rest of the world, but what are some of the common places where we find the need for people to leave and look for someplace else? Where are they fleeing from? So for many years, the top country of origin for the U.S. and Idaho as well has been the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. Um, a lot of people remember the genocide in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. It also, that's neighboring. It's spilled into DRC, and there's been other conflicts. And it just has been, unfortunately, it's been continuing where people are targeted because of maybe the tribe that they're with or a political leaning. Um, so it's no longer safe or just war in general. Mm. Um so that we have seen a lot of people, they um, bring with them a lot of language skills, like French speaking skills, um, Swahili. And so a lot of the like music, dance, culture, there's some food that you can find here in Boise does have roots in the DRC. Yeah. Um, Bosnia in the 90s was 80s or 90s um, was also a big one. And then when Idaho's resettlement program got started, it was because of what was happening with the Vietnam War and surrounding countries. And um, Idaho and other states kind of responded to a call to help with the refugee crisis that was happening there. And so that's where we got our start. I so that was, the, that was the beginning of when, when Idaho got... The formal, official. Like, obviously, okay. before then, you know, people were seeking refuge. But um, that was, like, when it got part of our state program. So almost 50, 50 years then. Mm-hmm. Almost 50 years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that we really wanted to talk about this is because I did not know uh, until I moved to Idaho how large of a of a community we have of refugees in, in our program. And it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that everyone really understands how it works. I know I'm just barely learning, and it's, it's fascinating. But... Um, we were mentioning beforehand that Idaho is very respected in our systems and, and how we work with, with refugees. Um, why do you think Idaho has this, this culture? Like where did this come from or, you know, who's, who's behind this kind of organization? So we were talking about if it's federal or if it's grassroots and, and it sounds like it's, it's really a community mm-hmm. continuing effort. 
Yeah, this would not work without the community buy-in. And I think Idaho, there's been so many people here who, whether it's just their own humanity or their faith that calls them to take care of people when they need help, I think that's a very strong ethos for our state. And I think the beautiful, beautiful thing about refugee resettlement is it's not like there's an us and there's a them. It's like there are humans in need and we right now have a safe community. And so um, when you welcome them in, they can bring with them all their their strengths and their humanity. And then we can know that we're doing our part. And so I think that's part of Idaho's like you lend someone a hand when you have the resources at a time when they don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's very strong here. So without getting into the spaghetti of all the different federal <laughs> and state agencies and who does what, how do you simplify who the Idaho Office of Refugees is? Who do you work with? And kind of what's your place in this big effort? Yeah, so every state has a resettlement program but one. I don't think Wyoming has joined. If you're listening Wyoming, then get on board. Mm-hmm. You should, it's really fun. Invitation. <laughs> um so some states, like I believe Washington is this way, choose to run their refugee resettlement program through their state office. So health and welfare um, might have a branch that handles refugee resettlement. And what that looks like is making sure that the federal funds designated for their initial services are getting to the right place. For Idaho, instead of doing it through the state government, um, you can also choose to be a replacement designee where you bid with the federal government and earn that contract, and then we are the ones who administer the program for our state. So there are multiple entities that are helping with the boots-on-the-ground effort of finding Mm -hmm. these people places to stay, places to work, and you serve an administrative purpose to kind of help organize and facilitate them. Yes, exactly. We're more the administrative. I call us like the boring people, like more of the administrative Uh. work. And I do want to give a huge shout out to caseworkers at the resettlement agencies. So the partners that we work with, like Agency for New Americans, International Rescue Committee, Ukrainian Welcome Center, and there's a CSI refugee programs and twin. So they have caseworkers on staff and they have either volunteers or team members go to the airport when someone first gets here, help show them where they're going to stay, help them find their permanent home. Um, talk about enrolling in schools, showing them how that works, applying for work, getting into language classes, getting their social security card, their work. Um, actually, I don't know if they need to get their work author- yeah, work authorization cards. There's so many steps, and they really um, help them through those initial times of the whirlwind of getting resettled. This is awesome. Like I feel when you mentioned somebody waiting for them at the airport, I thought, you're coming with fear. You have You've never been to this place. You don't know what the temperament is. You don't don't know what the community is like. They might be welcoming. They might be indifferent. They might be hostile. You know nothing. Most people have kids, right, families, and how do I do any of this? To have somebody to shepherd them through every step of the process, that's that's wonderful. And what's really beautiful is a lot of these caseworkers are former refugees themselves. So they have been there. They often can speak their language, their home language, um, and can show them, hey, this market has really good food that we had back home. Aww. So it's really cool. Um, we ha- we did a podcast with Global Gardens, which is um, obviously that's a that's a co op where um, refugees farmers we can actually access that food and we can support them and then they can bless us with their incredible bounty. It was so fun. It was so fun. Like all so, all summer, we're like, what do we do with this thing? But most of it's just, I mean, most of it's just like the stuff you're used to. And then every once in a while, they're going to throw in something 
but it, it was really cool. Um, and we also got to see the family. You know, that was re a really cool part. And what I realized was that um, there's a lot of opportunities to to involve ourselves with like these members of our community that there is a little bit of a disconnect. Um, for these, for the refugee community, are they a pretty tight knit community within Idaho or how are they kind of finding their place here? What do you think? It's such a, it's such a diverse community that it's not like there's one refugee community and they know who each other are and, mm -hmm. um, you know, within certain groups, like you might gravitate toward, oh, here are some other people from Afghanistan. They speak Dari as well. You're going to kind of gravitate and form relationships. Um, maybe you'll go to the same church with people who speak Swahili and you'll join the choir. And um, But it's definitely not a uniform. Um, the opinions vary in, in the community, the ways of doing things, uh, life outlooks. I mean, it's just very diverse. If you, if I were to go to another country and there was a bunch of like other Americans there, I'm sure there's some that I would want to hang out with and some that I would yeah. not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I kind of like to think of it like that. Like I don't necessarily feel this like uniformity with other, even like other white American females in their thirties. Like there's going to be yeah. such drastic um, diversity within that. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I see it too. Mm. I remember during COVID times, there was a little bit of fear, right, uh, with international travel and who was bringing these things in. And I, I think I recall like like a turning off of the tap for a while of, hey, we're not accepting anybody else for a while for whatever reasons. But um, I remember the sentiment at the time almost felt like there was, oh, they're imposing refugees on us or somebody from some other entity outside of our state is pushing these people into our borders you have a very different perspective. That's not what it's like. No. And some of the tap that got shut off, shut off wasn't the U.S. saying stop. It was processing centers overseas couldn't do their work because of COVID. Things mm -hmm. were shut down. And so people were trying not to interact or get sick. And so those when that processing isn't happening, it's going to slow the, the flow of people. So that's part of yep. what the rebuilding has been. Um, but I do see it as very much an a state community led effort. Um, so like our office, for instance, we are, we ha are federally mandated every quarter to have a consultation meeting and we invite a huge list of partners from the schools, the county, um, our congressional office staff come and they've been so amazing and so helpful. Um, and different service providers, the resettlement agencies, and we all just talk like, here's the numbers. Here are any um, like success stories that we're seeing. Here are challenges we're running into. Uh, hey, for next year, we're thinking we're going to have this many people. Anyone have any concerns with that number? Uh, yes. You know, we're having a lot of trouble finding housing for some of these families of 10 people. Can we try not to have that? You know, and so, okay, we'll, we'll adjust. We'll talk with our partners and we'll make adjustments based on. Because when, we get, when people come here, we want to set them up for success. And they do. They succeed in beautiful ways. But we want to make sure we're being smart about what how that's going. I like that. I think that there might be a, a a misconception that it's like, well, we just have this flow coming in and we have to find a place for them. No, there's communication. There's participation. There's planning to say how many, what kind of experience can we give them? And do we have capacity to do that? And what capacity do we have? So there is an organized effort to figure all this stuff out. Yeah, and it's interesting because, um, you know, in the Treasure Valley, this thing called Neighbors United formed in 2009 
to get all these entities together, the service providers together to talk about resources for refugees specifically. But then after a while, they're like, well, we've never really been in the same room together and we're all trying to serve the population in our own way. And to have us talking has helped everybody that wow. they serve. It's very cool. Mm. Um, now, they're coming here, obviously, with their own gifts. And you talked about with their cultures, with their music. I mean, we see the influx of like, of definitely the food. I went to that wonderful um, lunch you guys threw. That was so fun. It was just, um, it was at the Capitol the Refugee Appreciation yes, Lunch. The, Everyone should come. It's on Feb- February 29th this oh, next year. Oh, okay. Leap is that open day. to like... Can yeah, you, it's just in the rotunda, so anyone can come. Oh, that was so cool. So, people. yeah, we just talked with um, with refugees. They were telling our stories. We were eating their food and listening to their music. I'm like, this is like, <laughs> this is the happiest place. Like, everyone was so happy and joyful, and it was, it was just a really cool experience. Um, they're also coming with their um, skills, um, what, what are you finding, what, um, voids are they filling when they're coming into our community for like, um, for employment? Yeah. Um, I think first of all, just the, the perspectives that they bring and the approach to life is we have employers, you know, continuing to call us like, Hey, do you have anyone needing work? Like they've worked with people in the past from refugee backgrounds, such hard workers. We really want to hire more people. Um, but then also just the career wise, like for instance, right now, I just talked on the, on mosaics, the podcast I run for our office. I talked with, um, Samson, he's a physician and surgeon from Nigeria. And, um, I don't know that his path was specifically refugee resettlement or if it was a different form of immigration, but I do know that he wants to practice medicine here. That's what he's wanted to do since he was a kid and he gets here and it's, whoa, thousands of dollars, all these tests go back through residency again. Um, so like our global talent branch at our office formed um, a docs cohort and we have a mentor who's this Idaho doctor who's been amazing and he's helping them through this process and together they learn how to do it. So things like that medical professionals come and we're desperate for medical professionals in Idaho. <laughs> yes, we are. But it's really hard to, yeah. to transfer those skills and the credentials. So that's something that I'm really proud of. Um, I say I, I called IOR the boring Yes, earlier, but really some of these programs are like making a huge difference in people's lives. And so other professionals that come may have engineering backgrounds. Um, actually, on Taste of Persia, on that interview they did in Mosaics, um, they had mentioned how the dad came with his engineering degree, but because he had to provide for his family and he didn't have the English skills to transfer his um, career here, he took a janitorial job and now he's driving um, taxi and Uber. So he has this whole career. An but engineer mm-hmm. feeding his family by being an Uber driver. And he would work, I think, nights or days, and his wife would work whatever one he wasn't, and they made it work that way. And well, now they open this restaurant, mm-hmm. and which can we just shout out, if you haven't been to Taste, Taste of Persia. Taste of Persia is great. It um, is so fantastic. We've gone, I've gone three times. I took some friends. We did our Friendsgiving there. Nice. And like, we just kind of said, like, what do we eat? And, uh, I, I mean, we were, it, it's, that's one of my favorite things. I would never have had any of that food and to go down the street on, in Eustick in Boise. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know where we're eating, but we need to bring this like into our country. And that, that's such a cool thing in Idaho that I think now I'm just used to is having, you know, um, kibrams and, and things like that, just right, just available to us for bringing that kind of diversity 
in in our culture. It's just it's so it's so cool. Yeah, I'm not saying anything against engineers. I'm just saying I'm glad that they have that restaurant because it's awesome. <laughs> but what was the term that you used um, in our pre-conversation about an engineer being a janitor? It, like it implied some kind of a waste, oh, like a I waste call of it skills. Brain drain. Brain I drain. Brain waste is also one. I don't like the word waste. It reminds me of zombies. But I think like <laughs> <laughs> brain drain. Uh, yeah, they, there's all these this untapped potential. And um, things that would really help our economy here and our people needing services here, um, there's just sometimes an extra layer of either credentialing or licensing or language that needs to happen so that people can fulfill that. So is there a branch of what you do that helps to identify what those skills might be and mm-hmm. maybe fill those talent? gaps? You said global so talent? Global talent. What is that exactly? It's our it's a program of the Idaho Office of Refugees that was formed in 2015, I believe, because they saw this very problem. Um, so with the resettlement agencies, as they're helping people get on their feet here, they do help them apply for jobs. And sometimes they say, this is just going to be your survival job right now. It might not be your favorite thing, but you just got to start making money and then we can figure out what's next for you. And so that's helps them get that initial job. And then, and something that makes me kind of sad is families that were used to only needing a one income household are now being like, oh, we need a two income household. We don't have a car yet. Daycare is really expensive. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the challenges that families are facing. And that's really hard to see because uh, a friend I have from Afghanistan was saying, our daycare, they called it kindergarten was just like in our same apartment building. His mom lived next door. His brother lived upstairs. His sister lived down the road. His wife was able to stay home with the kids, do hair on the side, and their rent cost a fraction of his income. And then mm-hmm. they come here, and he's like, this rent is like 40% of my paycheck. Yeah. I was thinking about the cost of living and what, what all of us are dealing with here in the Treasure Valley right now. I would imagine that that's a specific challenge for your group, too. Mm-hmm. I guess once they get here, like, is there a time where they have like an amount of time where they're kind of taken care of and kind of like, like, and then are they just kind of set free? <laughs> that it's like they're, they're on their own or how does that work? So there, there are what's called resettlement and placement services. So that does assist with rent and they are able to get on um, SNAP food benefits and Medicaid, I believe, or Medicare. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and so there are some assistance. Uh, most of that, like with the cash assistance, that will end in 12 months max, um, typically. And that just increased from eight months. It's interesting because I heard it used to be like 36. And then when I started, it was eight. I'm like, eight months? That's fast turnaround. Um, but then they it's back at 12 now. Um, it's interesting because even though they do receive this initial assistance it's not a ton and um, I have seen studies that show that refugees go on to pay way more into taxes than they ever received in their initial uh, you know resettlement phase so it's just an initial investment in them because you're brand new here you're going to need any of us would need that little cushion Mm -hmm. and then they go on to be um, making their own money paying their own taxes and they are free to move many of them might find like oh I'm going to go to Minnesota there's great you know Somali population there I want to move there um so people are free to move around uh, wherever they want they just become members of our Mm -hmm. of of our community they can I mean they're not regulated with the jobs that they find or anything like that they just are become part of our community and we just kind of cushion the way in 
Exactly. And then for families that might need some more intensive care, uh, I don't know if that's the right term for it, but maybe there's like a medical need or something where they need extra assistance. There are um, programs that can help them for longer than a year. Um, but typically, like after five years is when they're eligible to become citizens. And yeah, you're just a member of the society. Like anyone who decided to move here, um, even though it wasn't like your initial decision or direction in life, um, you're here now and you're definitely an American as well. So refugee, the refugee status or program is when you're here, it's permanent. So mm-hmm. so Holly, differentiate between immigration and being a refugee. Yeah, and people who are resettled as refugees, that very specific term, if you look at the need, the displacement globally, and you look at the number of people who receive refugee status, this is depressing, but it's less than 1% around the world. Are the people who, is everyone else just waiting for it? Some people wait. Some people might be able to go home if the situation does improve. Some people might just make that that second country that they fled to their their home um but so coming through refugee resettlement is one pathway immigration you could come maybe through a work visa student visa other types of visa um you could seek asylum in our borders which is the same criteria as being a refugee it means that you have a fear uh, or you're being persecuted based on those factors that i said race religion ethnicity political opinion social group um, and they can receive asylum Mm-hmm. Um, so then they would then be eligible for the same benefits as a refugee is eligible for. Can you receive that for a sex, like uh, like gender? I'm trying to remember if gender is part of it. Because I mean, we have we're seeing some pretty terrifying things. Um, I I didn't know if if uh, if women can flee because of of the culture towards them. That's a good question. I would need to check back to see if I know that we do have someone who was able to go through the refugee resettlement program because his family wanted to kill him because he was gay. And so maybe mm-hmm. gender and sexual identity. I'm trying to remember if that specifically is listed on there or not. Mm. But other pathways could be um, humanitarian parolees. And I know the word parole holds a lot of negative connotation ne- yeah. here, but it just means it's temporary. So like, for instance, in Ukraine, when the war broke out, um, a lot of Ukrainians were able to come to the U.S. on humanitarian parole because there's immediate emergency of humanitarian need. And so for two years, you can stay in our country. And sometimes they re-up it, you know, if it expires. And that's what we saw with a lot of people from Afghanistan, too, when Kabul fell and people evacuated. A lot of them got humanitarian parole. And so humanitarian parole is really like, hopefully you'll be able to go home. And a lot of people want to go home. But, um, for instance... Neither of those countries are ready. So <laughs> what happens when, uh, do they just get an extension? Ex- like Yeah, it can cause a lot of anxiety for people because you don't really know what the future of your status is and it could put your job in jeopardy. And so, but yeah, the, there have been extensions like re-parole for mm-hmm. both. Um, others have applied for asylum and then you have that kind of waiting period to see if you got it. Others have applied for temporary protected status. Mm. So those are kind of the pathways that they've taken. But we're not sending people back to no. dangerous situations. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, there's so much. There's so much, and no. it's <laughs> and it's also really beautiful. Like, sorry, what were you? Saying? Well, I was um, just going to ask about the numbers. A lot of people. 
I mean, without hard numbers, I mean, what are we talking about? How many, mm-hmm. how many refugees come into Idaho annually? What's been the history? Are we talking tens of thousands? Are we talking hundreds? Are we talking some, something in between? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is fun for me. When I found out we had a database, I nerded out. I, I made so many Google charts. Um, <laughs> it was very fun. Um, so I, I noticed like kind of since 2000, it kind of was around that like 500, 600, 700 per year. Kind of, and then some years were higher. And then right before COVID, it was up like 1,000. And then COVID hit, um, plummeted to, I think our lowest I saw was like 215. And it wasn't just COVID. There was some federal policies that brought the numbers way down nationwide of, of how many people we could resettle, mm-hmm. which is really hard because it meant families were separated longer. You know, families don't always get to come all at once. Like I know a dad who saw his daughter for one night of her life and she's now like two and a half and they talk on WhatsApp. She calls him Papa on WhatsApp, but and he can't get her here yet. And it's just like, yeah, I had an Uber driver that was, uh, came from Afghanistan. I think it was. And he had, almost a carbon copy of that story. He saw his daughter for a couple of months and then he's out, but the, all the rest of his family is still there and he's still trying to navigate the system to reuni- to reunite and it is not looking good. That's what's hard about humanitarian parole is they don't have the same ability to apply for reunification as you would if you had refugee status. Mm. Um, what other countries do this like um, America does? Uh, I know Canada does, Australia, I think some European countries I should probably brush up on my knowledge I, mean, I was just that. thinking like you know what if there was some rising of some weird crazy group and they started just you know they hated everyone who's redhead I don't know whatever but like if we needed to flee you know you just, you always think that your country is going to be exactly what it is you know and things we, are going to be great and now we can see that <laughs> in the last 20 years like Obviously, I mean, we're still a wonderful place, but there's been a lot of changes and you just don't know what's going to happen. But if this is super random, but like if we needed to go somewhere, like would would that be an avenue where it's like we could go to Australia? Because, you know, if something happened in America where we started being hateful towards a group, Mm. there are other countries and that kind of shows why it matters so much to to say yes. Right. Because what if it was us? I think sometimes I've done this mistake too. It's like you think, um, oh, I'm doing life well, right? I'm, I'm, but it's really so much of it is just factors outside your control. And I remember one time a, a person came on my podcast and I remember looking back, I'm like, I think I was coddling him, making sure he wasn't too nervous, making sure he's okay. You know, he has, comes from a refugee background. I didn't want to offend. Like, I think I was kind of being too precious because of that. And then he tells me on this podcast all that he's accomplished. like, And I was just blown away. This, this, this guy's like a rock star. He's yeah. a rock star. And I, here I am like, oh, I, no. <laughs> like, yeah. What is that that we, it's, it's just another human being that had circumstances where they couldn't stay where they were and they didn't want that. I like that because it, it's just another human being. Like, I think sometimes fear makes us separate from each other. We other each other. We see borders. I mean, it's so funny because we have people who are very, very patriotic, meaning they love our country. And yet they're weirdly, the boundaries will be like Idaho. You know, it's like suddenly, no, I'm just, you know, I just love Idaho people. I'm like, well, it's all Americans. And then it's like, well, I love humanity. That means all humanity. 
But I understand that, yes, there is, we have fear. You know, we have things happening um, in the world right now that are real and valid fears. Um, I think that fear kind of exaggerates the distance between us and them, though. What do you, I don't, what does that mean? Well, I mean, just like in Holly, your example, that the difference of experience between me and this guy who I happen to be coddling on my podcast is not <laughs> as far as what I had thought. I had thought that, you know, it was that his experience or their experience was so different from ours or that, you know, they have the need to flee, but we're never going to have the need to flee. No, I, I think that it's just fear that kind of makes it seem like that distance is very far. No, that's And that's exactly what I mean. It's that I understand that there's fear, but it's the fear that we have to get over so that we continue to be the kind of humans that see all humans as valuable and all humans as as part of each other's story. And yeah. and that's that's one thing that I appreciate about this is because when we moved to Idaho, one of the most jarring things was the lack of diversity. I mean, we moved from the South and I walked down the street and I'm like, okay, well. This you- place is super white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then when I'd go into these other areas and I'd be like shopping at Capital um, um, Market, Am I forgetting the name of that all of a sudden? And it was like, oh, okay, I'm seeing, I'm seeing more, I'm seeing more, and and so I was excited about that because I wanted my kids to understand that like this is not necessarily representative of the world of which they're they're a citizen. I want them to be citizens of the world and not just citizens of our country and not just citizens of our state. And I feel like this this brings those barriers like it it brings them down. It I. I think it's it's a very important part of the culture that I've that I've started to learn about in Idaho. I totally agree with you. I think something I've had to learn in this job is like my job's messaging, right? Communications. And you know, you always want to say the positive thing. But then I'm on, I'm like there's I think I'm growing my compassion for people who are skeptical about refugee resettlement because the reason why human beings exist is because we're able to form groups that kept each other safe. So we have natural instincts to do that. Like, are you in my group? Are you safe? Are you like me? Are you not? And I, it's just psychology. Mm-hmm. And I think shaming people for that is just going to push us further into our own silos. So people who are concerned, are we able to house them well? Are they going to do well here? Is this too different for them? Um, is this the right place? You know, it's easy to be like, why are you so close-minded? But then when I think psychologically, I'm like, that's true. I, I mean, think that we've got hundreds of thousands of years of this habit of... Exactly. Tri- like canceling tri- people for curiosity is not no. going to help. Like, and I have to be... I don't want to be hypocritical. Like, here I am writing this lovely messaging, but in my actual life, yes, I want my, my home and my space and my sure. doors locked and my family time. And, like, you know, it's, we're all protective of what makes us safe. And if someone feels like something is at all going to infringe on that, there might have to be some more relationship building. Like, no, here's why it matters. Here's this dad that hasn't seen his daughter in two years. Like, oh, they see themselves. Like, that could be me. And I care about this person. And this person is growing food or fixing things or building things or taking care of people medically, taking care of veterans. You know, these people are like part of our society, the fabric of our society. So then you can start to see it's not us just handing out things that should belong to Idahoans, but now they're going to refugees. It's it's a tapestry. It's a whole. That's why I called my podcast Mosaics. That's truly what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so the it is totally valid to question, to be concerned, to wonder why is this part of our community? Is it safe for our community? It sounds like you're saying that part of our responsibility is to make it safe by being open to stories and bringing people in. Because once we, I, I guess I think once, if someone's very different than me, and once I make sure they feel like they're welcome, and I, I see them and I appreciate them, then we do become neighbors and we are able to be safe for each other. But that's not just like easy. You know, it's, it's not just easy to do that. I don't know. I don't have the skills to do it. I swear every, I, I swear I have met more refugees with Uber drivers. I swear we have the best conversations with mm -hmm. Uber drivers. So often they're refugees. But if we want to bring in these people who have had all of them, they have stories, you know, they have, they, they are needing care and we, we want to bring them as part of our community so that we are all safe for each other. How do we do that? Like, how do we, as a people make this happen, this tapestry, this idea? Not that that's a, a simple question. I'm like, could you, could you summarize that in one sentence? Well, uh, <laughs> I think that you kind of hinted on it. You talk to them, right? When you listen to somebody's story, you realize, oh, they're not as strange as I thought, or they've got a cool story, or there's there's always something in, in somebody's story that you can relate to and make them less other and more communal, which I think is kind of a cool idea for your podcast. Thank you. I was hoping the podcast would be a mutually empowering system of getting these stories out, because one thing that I don't want to do is put the emotional labor on refugees to educate us about what it's like. Uh, can you relive that story again and again and again so that we are enlightened? Like, I never want someone to feel like they have to carry that burden. And so... Or I, prove it. <laughs> or prove it. Or even just like, I care. I'm interested. I'm enlightened. So sure, I want to hear. And maybe they're like, well, I don't really want to share that story again. So whenever I do storytelling um, opportunities, like through our Refugee Speakers Bureau or through the podcast, I try as much as I can to make sure... It's a mutually beneficial thing. Like they can get the message out of what they care about. And a lot of people find it very, like even coming on this podcast, it's very rewarding. I was very excited about the subject matter. I'm happy to be here. And as long as I can provide a platform for somebody else uh, in that way, I think it's a really a win-win. Um, the Refugee Speakers Bureau will pay speakers for their time. Like we value your time and energy that you're putting into this. Here's an opportunity to make some money and also build on a cause that you care about. And a lot of them say, like, I care about the refugees coming behind me, and I want to make sure I do my part to build a good path forward for all of us. So they want to share. Mm. Um, but then just, like, day-to-day -day in life, I'm not great at this. Like, I'm not good at knowing how to, like, okay, for one, for one example, um, when people first came from Afghanistan, there was a lot of at once, and they were staying in a hotel um, just as an immediate housing need. And we're like, what can we do to make sure people can get out of the hotel, experience the city, get some fresh air? And so we worked with Glocal Community Partners, which if you're in Boise and you want to help, Glocal is awesome. Sorry, what's it called again? Glocal. So like global and local oh. sandwiched together. Yeah. Okay. They also do a community garden. They do friendship partners. They do refugee one-on-one -on -one trainings. Um, they're an amazing partner. Wow. Okay. Um, and so they helped organize a trip to the zoo. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Um, Part of my job was to go and help help them, quote unquote, get on the bus and get to the zoo from the hotel and then go to the zoo. 
well, the person that was going to come with me, she's like, I'm sick. I can't come. And I was like, okay, I got this. I had never ridden the bus before. <laughs> so You'd never ridden the bus? I had never ridden the Boise bus before. <laughs> I'm ashamed right. to say it. Um, I don't think I have. <laughs> oh, no, maybe to get to like a, a game or something. But yeah. Yeah. So I get there. I have no idea what I'm doing how to get on this bus and they show me the app and they <laughs> the people I'm there to quote unquote help are like teaching me <laughs> what to do to get on the bus and we're on the bus and um there's one most people don't speak English one of the guys does because he works so closely with our military that he was very familiar with our culture their language and everything and he had his four kids there five kids there wife and so we walked around the zoo together and I still talk with them today. I feel bad. They've been inviting me over for dinner for a long time, and scheduling has been tough. But um, mm. I still connect with them, and uh, it's it's been very cool. And he got a good job, and mm. his wife is doing English classes. His daughter got a job, and she got her license. And um, I remember when they were at the hotel, I felt so bad for them. Like, oh, you have to live at this hotel, especially because they didn't come from like a refugee camp where this was a step up. Like they came from their own apartment mm -hmm. and a really good life setup, and so um, I was just feeling guilty. I didn't that guilt. I don't know why. It's not like I did it, but there's this guilt that you feel. Yeah. Um, and the 16 year old, I was like, "What are you doing today?" And she's like, "Oh, me and my friend rode the bus to Target. She showed me like the <laughs> mascara and the eye curler that she got, eyelash curler." And I'm like, "Oh, she's just a teen girl doing her thing. Like, yeah. people are people." And um this guilt or this I'm learning like this guilt or this pity or that like there's no need for that there's no place for that it doesn't help it further separates along with the fear it's also in the other direction a form of separation between me and them like the pity yeah well yeah and it makes because we we tend to simplify people as much as possible yeah. because it makes it easier for ourselves so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna label them with their trauma or with you know or where they're whatever but they're just People doing their thing. Dealing with what, what comes. Like yeah. we, all of us have to deal with what comes. And and then um, one of the persons I was feeling guilty for, he's like, this is my golden opportunity. He's like, I get a second chance here in America to do my thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm like, wow. Good for him. Yeah. And now let's find out what he's watching on TV and what he's reading and what do you want to go have dinner? Like, <laughs> it's just, that's, a, I have to remind myself all the time. It's just, we're all just here doing our thing. Have, like, and we're all on this we all we're all on the same we're navigating a very weird time mm -hmm. we're all together on that like this is a really weird time to be human it is it's really weird and like none of us none of us are exempt from that and like there and Shane says this all the time but the just the more you talk with someone the more you realize there is so much more that is similar and that connects us than what separates us. And when we start looking for that, it just, it becomes much simpler. What is the general temperament? I mean, um, do you get feedback from the refugees that you help place and, hey, how's your experience? What are you feeling? Um, how welcomed are, are people in Idaho? If we can speak blunt, mm. uh, directly, kindly, but directly. Yeah. I mean, you were very kind in saying, I wanna understand other people's perspectives and why they might be skeptical or have fear, but um, where do we stand right now? I mean, do we have some opportunities to change? Yeah, I that's a really good question about the feedback later on um, from people who have resettled. I think anecdotally, I have heard people say they were very happy with 
how welcoming and friendly Boise was. I think sometimes they might sugarcoat instances or encounters um, that they've had. I'm wondering if it's because of like I'm with the Idaho Office for Refugees, so sometimes I'm like, I wonder how open they would be. Um, so it's not all rosy and it's not all perfect, but I have heard that people are pleasantly surprised because some people have this notion of Idaho, even among the refugee community of like, you know, they'll be coming, they'll get their, assi- they'll be assigned to Idaho and like, then they'll have other oh. American friends that'll be like, oh, Idaho? You that pulled place Idaho. Is racist. That's racist. You know, like there's no black people there or whatever. Um, but then they'll come here and they'll be like, oh, this is really friendly and like, um, you know, found their spot and like it. Um, not everyone's going to have the same experience, but I think, I think that that's one of your podcasts is called the Boise bubble. Cause sometimes I feel like I live in a Boise bubble where we get a lot of positive feedback from the community. Um, even when you, your, um, Instagram page reshared our call for people to come have a coffee party with us and write thank you notes. People saw that and came from just seeing it on your story. So thank you. But that's kind of, you know, just day to day, like do to do. Yay. Everyone mm. loves us. And then I heard a story from partners who a few years ago in a different part of Idaho had to have a police escort because they were talking about refugee resettlement. Um, so yeah, I'm like, okay. Mixed bag. Mixed bag. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in the election year if tensions are going to boil. I don't know. Um, I think just the humanity of it, like the more we can empower people from refugee backgrounds to be um, seen in their roles as our fellow community members so that's the thing with the refugee speakers bureau too or like you don't have to share your trauma story you don't have to share your flee story like fleeing like there's so much about you um this latest mosaics when the dr samson i'm just like oh i i relate so much to what you're saying um that those are the kind of stories in the moments i think they did a survey um that was recently referenced about support for refugee resettlement and if you live in a community that actually has resettlement the support goes way up mm-hmm. so i think it's mostly just exposure and relationships yeah what was it that natalie you were saying before um holly you'd said that nationwide our program is pretty top notch mm-hmm. tell us more about that yeah so we do an annual two-day conference um it used to be called the idaho conference on refugees but we're actually changing the name to the northwest conference on resettlement and it has it draws people in from all over the country and um, it has a good reputation we train a lot of it's focused on training um, maybe teachers resettlement workers volunteers on um, different issues related to immigration and refugee resettlement Mm. Um, and then just our numbers per capita are among the highest Um, we have a small population so um, per capita we do have a higher number than a lot of other states of the number of people we re- welcome every year. Mm. If you are going to give some advice to the community of just finding ways to support and bring people in where they feel loved and supported, like if someone just comes to you and says, I want to be a better citizen and more welcoming, what can I do? Do you have any thoughts of how somebody could could do that? Mm-hmm. It's cool because there's so many ways to, like I always highlight the mutually beneficial aspect. So if something's your flow and you really enjoy it, it's probably going to be a better fit for you to choose that than something that goes against the grain for who you are. So um, for instance, if you're a professional that works in the corporate world and you want to give back, there are um, Global Talent does these career summits and you can go and 
do practice interviews with new American job seekers, give them advice on their resume or their cover letter, um, give them advice on their interview tactics and just spend a day or afternoon with them and then enjoy a meal with them. And so that's going to be a really natural fit for you maybe than doing childcare at the Afghan Cultural <laughs> Center. But that's another need we have is childcare for these Afghan moms and women who oftentimes might be stuck at home not having as much exposure to learning English or transportation to get somewhere. So the Afghan Cultural Center um, created a class for them. And we need drivers because they don't have a car yet. And sometimes our public transit is not easy to navigate. I mean, you couldn't figure it out. I know, no, it is. <laughs> I mean, shout out to VRT. I really, they're great partners. But sometimes it doesn't have the stop close to you or the hours that you need. Um, so that's some examples um, by the Global Gardens Summer CSA share. I'm ashamed to say I wasted so many turnips this year because oh. I we did just not. gave them away. We I had know. to turn away beets. Like there I were, know. The, we had so many beets, and I know I, I got like the them. golden beets. I mixed them in with my potatoes and carrots, and they looked like carrots. And my husband's like, "Oh, these carrots are so gross." I was like, "Oh, sorry, those are beets." He's like, "Oh," <laughs> but you fooled me. But it's a really cool share. Like I was amazed at how much better the potatoes, kale, carrots were than even what you can buy at the store. The oh, quality. Yeah. yeah. It was so fresh. I I'm made like, so many good soups. Oh, yeah, my gosh. So anyways, too. that's a way to support, too. It aligns with your natural need for fresh food, with your cares about the environment and sustainability. So I would say whatever aligns with what you already care about is going to be the best fit for both and the most sustainable fit for both. Um, some people through Glocal have become friendship partners. So for three months, you commit to this family and you commit to checking in once a week, maybe doing an outing, maybe having dinner, maybe showing them um, where the DMV is, those kind of things. Um, so that's a really cool way to get more hands-on. Some people have, like with Agency for New Americans, helped a new family move into their apartment. Um, here's a really nitty-gritty way. Like they reorganized ANA's um shed so like when they get donations it goes into a storage shed mm -hmm. and a group of volunteers came in and totally reorganized the shed for them <laughs> like little mm -hmm. things that you might not think about um there's if you're interested in something chances are there's a way you can use it to welcome people is there one place they can access information mm -hmm. about that so at idaho office for refugees we have a get involved page and then it has whitney um, our volunteer coordinator and she can help we're not hogs of volunteers. Like if someone wants to volunteer, we'll try to get them to the right opportunity, whether that's with us or with IRC or ANA or whoever. So that's really the best place to start is idaworefugees.org. There's a volunteer button right on our homepage. And nice. remind us again of this, um, the February event. So it's called the Refugee Appreciation Luncheon. And it's really cool because businesses from all over the state endorse it. And we have this huge poster that just shows the the business support for refugee resettlement in Idaho. And so we have that and we have different caterers from all over the backgrounds from all over the world, set up shop and just serve food right there in the rotunda. And anyone can come. Um, people from refugee backgrounds will come and be able to chat with community members, lawmakers, just to kind of share more about themselves. And it's a free meal and a really good time. So it's, it's February so 29th. Good. Yeah. February 29th. Yeah. Wait, did you say that's, it's, it's leap a leap year, leap? I guess. Okay. That was pretty yeah. Anyone born on February 29th, happy real birthday. Awesome <laughs> way to spend your birthday. And your one more thing. What if um, businesses wanted to hire refugees? Is there a, is, is that, is there a connection? Mm -hmm. So they can come to Global Talent, which is glowtalent.org is their website, or you can find it through idaho-refugees.org. 
and they can either connect you to if it's someone with specific career background skills they can connect you or if it's more uh, entry-level jobs they can help connect you to the resettlement teams that do employment because i know that there is quite a void for certain jobs um and i don't know i don't work in those things but maybe that's maybe that's helpful for for these companies also, if you're a company that just needs to check the box of your philanthropy and you want to give to a good cause, it it might not seem as glamorous, but we do really cool events throughout the year that are so important of building a welcoming culture, like World Refugee Day, our conference, um, education and culture building, and we really need support funding those things. Most of our funding is... Um, like for the actual services comes from the federal government, but for things like global gardens, global talent, these like initiatives that really help fill voids or build a culture of welcome, we rely on donations or grants to fund those kind of efforts. So business partners are really huge in that. So if your business has a fund that you'd like to be able to give, we are looking for supporters. Mm. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This yeah. was fascinating. I feel awesome like we conversation, could talk for Holly. Hours. Thank you. Really yeah. appreciate both of you. Wonderful. So, um, a couple places to find you. You've mentioned IdahoRefugees.org, um, the Mosaics podcast. Um, do you guys have social media? Yeah. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm still on X. I don't know why, but mm. sometimes I'll post something. I know. There. I'm like, <laughs> is Threads going to take over? I, is it I, all going to die? Who knows? I gave up with Threads, and then everyone's like, "Are you on TikTok yet?" I'm like. Uh, Please no. don't make us do all the things. But Instagram is really like a fun way to connect, and or Facebook if that's your preferred. Nice. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, best of luck and thanks for all that you're doing for the com- for the community. Thank you both too. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble, and for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time. Thanks so much to our sponsors for supporting local dialogue. We encourage you to check them out online. Jesse Taff of Waypoint Real Estate Group is at www.waypointidaho.com. Bryce Gonser of Fulcrum Home Loans is at www.fulcrumhomeloans.com. And Dr. Dustin Portella of Treasure Valley Dermatology can be found at www.dermatologyboise.com and on Instagram at drdustinportella.